that was sent to the church, and it, it was uh, something that was just neat um, from a family uh, named uh, the Goebbels. And they've visited with us here in the last months, and uh, they just uh, wrote this note to the church. And sometimes it's really nice to share something like this because it just gives some idea of some of the impact that we have without even ever realizing it. It says, Dear friends, I am now back in Indiana and safely uh, thank the Lord. I really enjoyed my visit with you folks, and the lessons were uh, inspiring and helpful. I will think of you and continue as true brothers and sisters in Christ and um, with other people to stop and visit if you're ever in the area. Uh, thanks again for your welcome and your hospitality, Morton Lee Goble. So we never know when people travel through and where they're from or what their situation is, but Morton and his family came through and just wanted everyone here to know that they're really thankful for their time here with the church and uh, actually sent a contribution check to say uh, we, we want to help out with the work that's happening there. And, and just uh, there's lots of different ways that God works in, in all sorts of among us, and this is just one that, uh, that came up that it was, uh, the elders wanted me to share. All right, we've uh, spent some time here the last while in the book of Proverbs. And the Proverbs, for a while, they, we did about eight weeks in the Proverbs. And they're really good for me personally. I hope they were for you as well. And again, what I hope comes from it is remembering and understanding that when we get through tough times in life and we have no idea what to do, and times where we think, man, I just I need some wisdom here, open the book of Proverbs and let God's Word speak to you, and oftentimes you'll find an answer there. Um, and during this time uh, is a time that we definitely need wisdom. Um, I know that uh, with, with the election coming, with, with COVID happening, uh, I know that many of us have been praying for just wisdom and uh, praying for our country. Uh, the, the three things we've talked about praying for a lot is praying that God heals our world, that God calls people to himself, and that God causes all of us to look more like Jesus than we did before. And hopefully the Proverbs helped in that process. Uh, we're going to go to uh, a section of Timothy, or excuse me, a section of Titus that I'm going to preach through here in the next few weeks. But before we do that, I'm going to share some, some background to it uh, that I find really helpful. But we've got here coming up in about a week and a half uh, the, the election coming up, and I know that uh, many of us have sent our ballots in or their ballots are coming in or, or waiting for election day. And something I think is important for us to remember at this point in time, that no matter what happens, Jesus is still king. Amen? Jesus is still king on the throne of heaven. And so whatever happens, whatever our situation may be, uh, there's, uh, if, if Facebook is an indicator, there's indications that there, that there might not be peace after the election, which hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully we've learned some things from the past and we behave a little better than that. But what I'm hopeful for is for us as Christians to remember first and foremost that, uh, that Jesus is still king. And, and we focus on that, and it really puts our hearts and our actions in, in a great spot. Because our tendency uh, is, is to not do good a lot of times. The book of Titus is, is one I've, I've spent quite a bit of time in, and I, I appreciate it for a lot of different reasons. And let me tell you some of, some of why that is. When you look at the books of Timothy, Paul takes this, this fatherly approach and saying, Timothy, be courageous, be strong. 
Uh, God does not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And you get the impression when you read through the books of Timothy that Paul is saying, Timothy, it may not be in your natural nature to be strong and courageous, but you need to do it. You need to toughen up. You need to, to be courageous. And you see him mentioning to other churches, make sure that Timothy doesn't have anything to fear when he comes to you. Titus is a different beast. And we see that Paul opens a letter to Titus saying, Titus, I sent you to Crete, or left you in Crete, so that you could put things in order, so that you could appoint elders and all of this. And it seems when you read through the book of Titus that Titus doesn't struggle with the same things that Timothy does. Titus is not one that is, oh man, I, I don't want to get yelled at again. I don't want to get chewed up again. Titus is right there in the middle jumping in saying, hey, let's debate this. Let's deal with this. Let's throw this out on the table and let's solve all of this. And Paul is telling him, wait, Titus, hey, wait a minute. That's not why I left you there is to get to the bottom of everything, okay? Why I left you there is so that you could teach them to do good. And this phrase comes up over and over and over in the book of Titus. You're supposed to be there to teach them to do good. But you've gotten sidetracked because you're in all these debates constantly and trying to solve everything. And you're not going to do that in this side of life, okay? But you've got to teach these people to do good. They've got to hear that from them. They've got to see that from you. Now, um, one of the things that comes up in Titus uh, that Paul says, there's a, one of their own poets quoting one of the poets from, that comes from Crete, Crete. It says, they are liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Now, how would you like to work among people who were liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons and relished that? <laughs> no, that's not the type of people we tend to, to be attracted to or say, hey, I want you in my court. You're a, a liar, evil brute, and lazy glutton. You know, that's how we roll. Or maybe there's another way that, that Paul could have said this in our terminology. These people from Crete are rural rednecks, and they're tough to deal with sometimes. Maybe that brings us a little closer to, to home in Montana here. He says, Titus, what you've got to do, and why I left you there, is to teach these people to do good. Teach them to do something different than what they've come from, what's normal for them. Look at these verses here. It says, in verse one, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Elders, speaking about elders, rather he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, and wholly disciplined. In other words, someone who stands out different against the culture that you're in there, but someone who doesn't just do good because they have to, but they do good because they love it. That's where their heart is at. In chapter 1, verse 16, it says, on the other side of things, on the contrast, people who are continually stirring the pot, he says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now these are people that, you know, this isn't the type of people you want to be around because they don't do good. Their actions do not back it up. Even if they talk about following Christ, actions are not there. And not only that, he gives an example of Jesus here. Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus is one who was actively doing what was good, and he wants a people that do the same. Look at the next verse here. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good. This is the, what Gabe just read here just a minute ago. 
People that are ready to do what is good. That's what God wants of you. And furthermore, says this is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress these things so that those who haven't been, have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And he finishes up the letter towards the end saying, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urchin needs and not live unproductive lives. You notice in this short book here of three chapters, this comes up a lot. Over and over again, teach people to do good. We are to be people that do good. That flows out of us. People that love to do good or love what is good. And that doesn't include all the other times that Paul tells Titus to call the people higher in action and doesn't use this phrase. But this theme comes up over and over and over again throughout the book of Titus. And now that this has been written almost 2,000 years ago, and has been distributed, and we've been reading it for about 2,000 years. We've got this dialed now, don't we? We've got this dialed. We've got it figured out how to do good, and that just flows out of us, right? As people in our world, is that what happens? What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Have we figured out how to do good? Nah, not so much, right? Look at some examples here. Um, Historically, we wrestle with this, and here's a scripture that speaks about it. In uh, chapter 3 of Titus, verse 7, it says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And Paul is going to talk about how and why to do good. He shared a lot with Timothy. This is what you're supposed to teach people to do. Don't get into these debates constantly. Teach them to do good. But he's going to spend a few verses in chapter 3 telling them how and why. And we're going to look at that here in the next few weeks, the powerful saving work of Jesus. But look at this, this passage here, and then you see, um, here's, uh, I pulled up several news stories that just show some things that are happening in our world during this time. Uh, this is a woman who uh, uh, was able to embezzle $800,000 from a local HOA, not in the valley here, but elsewhere in the United States. That's a lot of money. There's a lot of sinful nature behind that, isn't there? There's a lot of greed. There's a lot of selfishness that leads to that. Uh, let's look at another one here. Montana murder mysteries. I, w- I, I checked to see what, uh, what our crime statistics are in Montana. And something I realized, actually, here in the last few days, have you seen the ads for the new TV show that's coming out, Big Sky? It's, I don't know. Now, I am not um, promoting it, okay, because I don't know anything about it, except that the commercial says, behind all the beauty and the wonderful of Montana, there's a dark side, and it's one of those murder mystery type shows that's starting to, that's going to come out. Okay, I didn't promote it, okay? I didn't do that here, okay? Don't quote me on that. I'm just saying that that's, that's a TV show that's, that's, uh, that's going to be hosted on network TV here pretty soon. But I went back and I looked at the most recent crime statistics, 2019, in Montana. We had a, a really good year. People lived peacefully, and we only had 27 murders. Usually it's in the high 30s or into the 40s. Only 27 murders last year. 624 rapes, 4,328 violent crime offenses, and over 20,000 uh, theft um, charges or convictions. Anyway, when we look at 
our world, it's beautiful. It's amazing living in this valley. I spent some time out in nature hunting yesterday, opening day of rifle season. Oh, it's cold and windy and snowy and all that. But it's still beautiful. It's still amazing. But below the surface, we as a people, as we've talked about, we struggle with violent crime. We struggle with alcoholism as a people. It's, it's really evident that we wrestle with doing good, don't we? Look at this next slide here. How many of you remember this day? This happened before my children were born. This is 9-11 when the Twin Towers, uh, two airliners that had been hijacked, ran into the Twin Towers. I grew up hearing people talk about they knew exactly where they were when Kennedy was assassinated. Everybody remembers that from my parents' generation. Where were they when Kennedy was assassinated? And I remember thinking, I don't know... Uh, where I was for about anything in my life. I don't remember much as far as specific events where everyone knows uh, where they were at. But when 9-11 happened, we had our event, the first time since Pearl Harbor that there had been an attack on U.S. soil. And how many of you who were alive at that point in time remember exactly where you were when 9-11 happened? It changed our world. When I was in high school, I remember the military recruiters coming and saying, hey, you should join the military. It's going to be great. You can go to Japan and be stationed there for a while. You can go to Germany and be stationed there for a while. And life's going to be great. It's going to be smooth because during the Cold War, there hadn't been armed conflict of any major scale since Vietnam. And so people served their entire careers in the military in the U.S. uh, just uh, uh, living in Europe doing some, some things that, uh, and there was definitely difficult things out there, but that's not what the recruiter talked about. But the people that are my age, that got in the military during that time, spent a lot of time in Iraq and a lot of time in Afghanistan and some really, really tough places. There was a, a crew of guys in the church in Great Falls in the last years that I was there. They were bomb diffusers. They were EOD guys, and they spent tour after tour after tour in Iraq and Afghanistan trying to defuse bombs. And life was different for them than uh, they anticipated when they enlisted. Uh, For many of them, that was the case. And uh, that type of thing leads to armed conflicts all over the world. Uh, um, Our soldiers have been all over the place uh, in the last 10 years, 20 years, uh, more so than had been for for a time before that. And uh, I know sitting across the table from many, they talk about the heartache that they uh, have to live with because of because of those times. Now that's just we're just looking at examples in our world of how we really struggle to do good. Here's another one. Uh, now we live in the United States, so we have a perfect justice system, and everybody gets the justice they deserve, right? We have a great justice system, but the sinful nature reigns in us just like it does in other places in the world. I sat in a courtroom once with a friend sitting behind him, actually, as he was in a custody battle with his ex-wife. And his ex-wife's family came from money. He did not. And I am convinced that I watched that day the judge make a very biased decision to take his kids away in in a way that my friend did not see justice that day. It was destructive. It was hurtful to watch that and and, uh, to see that happen. Uh, there's uh, a lot of injustice in our world. In spite of our great system, in spite of the foundations it's built on, we still have a lot of injustice in this world because historically we really struggle with doing good. 
Here's another one. Um, we live in an economy that is a market economy, where there's a stock market, where a lot of wealth can be made. And uh, it's amazing for me when I study some of that or, or research it or read about it or participate in it, how much greed plays in. Uh, when we go back just a few years ago, I know in this valley, there was a lot of people that were really hurt when the housing market crashed. From 2001 to 2006, this housing market exploded and, and got uh, people made a whole lot of money for a while. And then the bubble burst because of some things that were happening in dark corners at the, in, in, the, uh, in, people in the halls of power. And all of a sudden, everything starts crashing down. And from 2007 to 2010 or so, we see the market just go down. And that one in particular had a whole lot to do with greed. That's some sinful nature. We have a tough time doing good. We can look at uh, a lot of different things over and above all of these, these pictures that I have up here. Just how we as people really wrestle to do good. I, um, when we look at, for example, just the election season, I've been counting how many, how many uh, pamphlets or how many flyers I get in the mail on a daily basis uh, telling me how terrible the other person is in the election. And my, the record so far is 11 in one day. And I've been counting them just to see how many come. Are you guys getting those in the mail too? If you don't, I want to talk to you afterwards. How did you do it? You know, right? Right. Yeah. I get text messages several times a day about, you know, yeah, all of that. You know, what's, what's disheartening for me to watch our country is there's, there's issues that, that need to be dealt with. There's a, there's a lot on the table. What I'm disappointed about is... Um, for example, when you watch the debates, if my children acted that, I would send them to corners to take a break. Because we really, as people, have a tough time doing good, don't we? We wrestle with that. We wrestle with that. Uh, there's all sorts of other things we could talk about. We could talk about alcoholism, sex addiction, um, Anything that we want to put up here, say, we as a people live in a broken world, and we really have a tough time doing good. I remember this jumped out to me years ago when I had uh, spent some time in Albania. Albania is just 70 miles off the coast of Italy. You jump on a ferry, the next morning you're there. And I went to work at a Bible camp. In fact, I still have a picture of the kids from that Bible camp in my office. And it was an exciting time. I've never had a Kalashnikov pulled on me, except then, when I was in, in Albania. This, this drunk cop thought that we were laughing at him. We weren't, and he came around the corner at the Bible camp with a Kalashnikov screaming at the kids saying, if you, I didn't understand this at the time because he was screaming in Albanian, but the kids told me later. He said, if you guys laugh at me, I'm going to shoot every last one of you right now. And the kids ran, and so... I didn't know exactly what was happening, except there's a Kalashnikov that he's pointing at us, and so I ran too. And we got around out of the way, and there was a young guy that was my age, he was in his early 20s, went over and diffused it and talked with him. Three years after the Civil War happened, there were bullet holes, there were uh, where the landmines had been put, there were 
craters in the ground. They'd just blown their country to bits. And there were two situations. One of them was the Kleznikov incident. Another one was, was you know, another incident with the authorities in town that, that someone else got involved with that I thought someone was going to lose their life at one point in time or that they thought that was a fear. Scary stuff in just a few days there. The day before I was going to head back, I was sitting at a restaurant there off the main street in Vlora, and the missionary is sitting across the table from me, and we're looking around at this town that had 70-80% unemployment, and people just milling around the streets, stealing from each other, and we're watching all of this happen. Really tough time in, the, in that world at that moment. And the missionary looked over and he said, Chris, in this world here, I can understand how someone can look around and not believe in God. I get it. I, I understand that. I can see why that would be the case. But I have no idea in this country at this time how someone can look around and not believe that Satan exists and is alive and well. <laughs> because it's everywhere. And the pain and suffering is constant. Because we're a people, it says here, that we tend to be foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We tend to roll that way, don't we? When we get closer to home, there's a lot of things that maybe, if I read through some of these things that we had up here that you may think, well, Chris, you know, I, I know what you're talking about, but I've never embezzled $800,000, or I've never done some of those things that you've talked about here, so that's really not, you're not talking about me. I think when we talk about the roots to all sin, those are things that we share. How many of you have wrestled with selfishness sometime this last week? Now, you don't have to confess if you don't want to. How many of you have struggled with fear, and not a fear of God, but a fear of losing control or something like that this week. Oh yeah. How many of you have wrestled with anger or pride or whatever it may be? Yeah. We wrestle with that. And we may bury it or we may try to not let it get out of control, but those things can rule in our lives, right? Let me give a couple of examples here that I've um, just to to make sure that we're we're seeing sin for what it is. I remember sitting across a table from someone here many years ago, that was wrestling with a pornography addiction. And one of the things that this man mentioned, he said, well, at least, at least I'm not hurting anybody else by exposing myself to that material. That's not true. Because whenever we participate, whenever we look, we're promoting that industry who is out taking advantage of women and, and destroying their lives on a regular basis. If we look, we're a party to all of that. Or think about it in other terms. Um, we live uh, in a place where the bison used to roam a lot. And we live not far from where they do roam, down in Yellowstone Park. And, um, and there was a time in our country on the Great Plains where there were bison everywhere, right? They were all over the place. And in a matter of years... They were almost completely decimated. Now, when you look back to Genesis 1 and 2, where God says, take care of what I have made, I think all of us could look around and say, okay, the decimation of the bison herds from millions to almost none was not a faithful, faithful stewardship in God's kingdom, right? That we shouldn't have done that. That wasn't good. Although I think it would have been pretty amazing to be on a horse chasing bison. Anyway, that's just my own, maybe I'm confessing here. I think that would have been pretty, pretty epic to participate in something like that. 
But think about most of the people that participated in that were living in New York City or living in Europe or something like that and said, hey, I just need a warm coat. These coats are phenomenal. I'm going to buy one and I'm going to pay a lot of money for one because I'm going to have this coat maybe for the rest of my life. And without realizing it or thinking through it, was part of destruction somewhere else. And we can do that. I remember reading an article that was very well researched and well sourced a while back talking about the devices that we have, the phones, and some of this is changing, but some of the materials that are used to make them come from places where slave labor happens, that sort of thing. I mean, I don't even think about that stuff. At least it's hard for me to. Why does buying an iPhone hurt somebody else? You know, my mind doesn't even go there, but the reality is, is that's kind of how we operate. And I say that just to say this, is that we're all part of the problem somehow. In this world, in this life, we're all part of the problem in, uh, in, in this continual destruction that seems to, to be happening with mankind. So with that being the case, uh, you guys have a great day. And uh, go home and, and consider and think about how terrible you are, right? And how bad things can get, and they can get worse, right? You notice... The way Paul approaches Timothy here, he says, that's what you were. And he's going to share something else here in just a minute. But I want us to remember this, is that this is something from the past. And we've talked about the concept of already but not yet. Okay, we as Christians understand that God has taken away our sins through the work of Jesus and has purified us already, but we are not yet a finished product in this life. As we go through this life, we will continue to look more and more like Jesus. We'll continue to be transformed. But we will go into eternity being an unfinished product until we pass away and things are changed. And we become that finished product at that point in time. I think that's reality. I think that's scripture. And we can share that in a, and talk about that more another time. But I think we see from experience is that we always have... We're always in process in this life until God takes us home. But look at the next verse after this one from Titus 3. If you and I are feeling real bad about ourselves, remember this. That's ourselves. The solution is this. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Now, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about the saving work of Jesus. You can never hear that too much, and especially how Titus is instructed by Paul about how this saving act of God works. And we're going to spend some time on it. Now, remember, we know that we're supposed to do good, but these verses, the next verses, teach us how and why. And we'll get into that. And so, what I want to leave you with as you go home today is thinking about this. We know that as Christians, God has saved us, and that's good news. And we're going to talk a lot about a lot of good news here the next few weeks. But before we do that, because we know the end of the story, I want each one of us to consider this. What it means to be a person who is living in repentance. Okay? Repentance is not something that just happens once. Before we're baptized, I repent of my sins, and then I uh, never consider that again. And I go forward, right? Repentance is a lifestyle or a posture, just like faith, 
We live by faith, and it's something we have to decide every morning to get up and say, I'm still going to be one that walks by faith, not by sight. I'm still going to be one that believes that God is there, even if I don't agree with Him, even if I wrestle with Him, even if I don't want to today. I'm still going to walk by faith, because that's a decision I'm making. The same is true with repentance. And I heard someone say once that I thought I appreciated this, is we know that we're living by repentance when instead of seeing sinful activity as an opportunity, we see it as temptation. Okay, that's a, a great indicator that we're trying to live by repentance. Can you, you, can, you can understand that? Think about that. So living a repentant lifestyle is waking up every day saying, all of that that we talked about here, all of the sinful nature, all of this stuff that is destructive, all of the parts that here I am, I'm a part of the problem in some way, I don't want that anymore. Because I want to be part of the solution. I want to be part of the healing. That's what God has done for me. He saved me and I want to help save others. That's what I want to be about. That's living that repentant lifestyle. And think about this. This is always good to go back and and look at what it means to to live out a repentant lifestyle. And here's some, some things to consider. First of all, we realize it. The most dangerous person for us to lie to is ourself. Because we can walk through life saying, I've done nothing wrong, I'm fine, I'm all good, everybody else is the problem, and all we're doing is lying to ourselves during those times. And so it starts with saying, I will not lie to myself. I'm going to be honest with my own shortcomings and what they are. I'm going to own it. I'm not going to make excuses. There's a big contrast that we see in Scripture of the difference in people who, when they're confronted with sin, blamed others and found excuses and those that owned it. Saul and David, we've talked about that. That is a great example of that. When Saul made the sacrifices that he wasn't supposed to, what he did immediately was, well, but Samuel... This is your fault because you're late. But it, it's, it's their fault because they were getting anxious, all the rest of the people. You know, th- this is everybody else's fault, and Saul owned none of it. He pointed the blame to everybody else around. But the king after him, David, when he was approached by something that created a, a ton of destruction in the life of, of, of others, being involved with Bathsheba, having her husband executed. Nathan the prophet comes and says, David, you, you are the man. You see David giving no excuses, but saying, I have sinned. And you notice what Nathan the prophet says immediately afterwards. God has forgiven your sin. Now God enforced consequences over time. It wasn't Nathan's job to do that. God did that. Man, you see what happens afterwards. All all the destruction. But you see that the forgiveness is fast and immediate. It's there. Because David owned it himself instead of blaming other people for his own shortcomings. Confessing the own shortcomings in our lives. Confessing to God and finding people around us that we can be really honest with, that we can be transparent with. It's so healing and freeing to be able to sit down and say, Boy, I have sinned and I shouldn't have done this. Would you pray with me? that I can look more like Jesus going forward. There's great power in that, um, great healing. And then mourn it. Uh, I'm convinced that we do not leave the sinful nature behind without really mourning it, without really feeling, without really deciding that's not what I want to be. And we can go through life, whatever habit, whatever addiction is, you think about it, we won't leave that behind 
until we really look at how much it affects me, how it affects you, and how it destroys uh, our own spiritual life. And when we mourn it and say, I don't want any of that anymore, then the healing can come. And until we mourn it, it, it oftentimes doesn't happen. We can pray for it. Pray for our own sinful nature, saying, God, take it away from me. Make me into a person you, you want me to be. Help me to be different. And then embrace the grace of God. These next verses in Titus, that's one of the concepts that comes up, the grace of God. And we're going to talk about what that means, unmerited favor. In other words, getting much, much better than we deserve from God. And so that's what uh, my hope is as we get into the next weeks, is that these words from Paul to Titus, to a crew of people that were tough to deal with, you know, he says, what you need to teach them is to do good. I'm going to tell you how and why. And I'm going to give this to you so that it really can change their lives. I know those passages that we're going to look at in the next weeks have really impacted my life and have changed my heart over time. And I hope they do the same for you. And in the meantime, let's remember the good news is ahead. Jesus saved us. And remember that let's walk forward being a people that is repentant, not keeping sin hidden in our life, not keeping shortcomings uh, um, closed within our heart and pretending they don't exist, but saying, no, I, I do not want any of that to be a part of me. I'm going to realize it, I'm going to own it, I'm going to confess it, I'm going to mourn over it, I'm going to pray for it, and I'm going to embrace the grace of God going forward and realize that God's goodwill towards me is way, way better than I deserve. I'm convinced that that is one of the most difficult things to do in our Christian walk because there's something about our human nature that just wants to pay. There's something about our human nature that just wants to build a sacrifice. There's something about our human nature that wants to suffer, and somehow there's goodness that comes through that. But something we see from, the, from God and the way he reveals himself in offering grace is saying, there's a limit to that. What I want is you to live the abundant life in joy. That's what I want for you. And as Christians, we want to go through this process of repentance so that, that sinful nature does not hang on to us and, and, and keep our spirits like we're, we've got an anchor we're carrying around with us or a prison that we carry along with us. God wants something much, much greater for us, and that's what we're going to look at the next few weeks. In the meantime, let's all look in our own hearts and say, I do not want that sinful nature anymore. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. There's people back there that are, are willing to pray with you and walk through whatever you may be going through in life. We're going to go straight into the Lord's Supper now, and then we'll sing our way out here in the next, next little bit. Come on down.